Well, again, good morning. You can be seated. And as I say that, you can be seated. I know you're much more comfortable today being seated. As we, uh, if you haven't been with us before, then you uh, have missed out on the opportunity to sit in very upright and uh, firm chairs. Um, rather than this uh, nice comfort that you're sitting in. Um, I like to think as we're in the Beatitudes, blessed are those whose backsides sit in comfort, so they will be more attentive to the Word of God. And um, it is great to see you and great to be with you. And um, just what a great morning to be reminded and to hear God's Word. Um, We are in a study of the Sermon on the Mount uh, from Matthew chapter 5. Um, through seven, and uh, we are still in the beginning uh, verses of this, what is often referred to as the Beatitudes. And uh, and so, if you want to turn in your Bibles there um, and uh, follow along uh, as we study this, and if you haven't been with us uh, in the past, if you're a first time, or if you just uh, need to get caught back up, just know that you can do that through our podcast. If you uh, just wherever you get a podcast from, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever it is, um, you can uh, find our. Um, uh, sermon series there. You can also go to our website, citychurchmelissa.com, and you can catch back up uh, with us on that. And this morning we turn to um, the fifth beatitude, um, which says, excuse me, the sixth, got behind myself, the sixth beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now it seems to me as I read this, that this Statement: Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, could have been the entire Sermon on the Mount. There really isn't much else to say, is there? Is there anything else that we would want or desire or need than to see God? Seeing God would sort of summarize everything that we might need in life, everything that I would hope that we might desire for ourselves. And it, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Don't we long to know God more than anything else? And to know God, for as we often think, to know something, because of sometimes our challenged faith, to know something, we need to see it. And so if we could just see God, if we could just see Him, then we could know Him. And if we could know Him, then we could hear from Him. And all our problems would be solved. Isn't that what we often think? I know that's how I sometimes think of challenges in my own life. I just need to hear from God. And I can't hear from God in the same way that I think of hearing from you or from other people. Although I know we talk about it all the time. If you want to hear God, just read the word aloud. You'll hear from God. But so as we think just in our day-to-day life, we want to hear from God. We have these struggles, these challenges. We want to know, God, tell me what it is that we should do. It seems to me that... This is the greatest desire for the Christian to see God. And Jesus is telling us us and telling his disciples that we will see God. Let's put it in perspective this way. In my family, um, my boys often ask me if I'd rather see a Cowboys Super Bowl, a Mavericks championship, or a Baylor Bear National Championship in football. They kind of, that's my, a new thing for us. My son, I send a lot of money there, so now we follow him quite closely. 
But they ask, what would I rather see? And it's kind of, we batted around this idea of which sport or which team I'd rather see win. And, and to think about, that's kind of the culmination for them. Like, Dad, if you could just end. I, I also am sort of a little bit upset by that question because they're assuming by the fact that I'm so old, I've only got one chance. I'll die before anything else might happen. But we'll leave that alone. But to see God, is there anything greater that we would ask for? If we were to have a hypothetical, could we fill in the blank or see God? I think we would all answer, see God. We want to see him. And if we don't, if I didn't answer that I'd like to see God as opposed to whatever my hypothetical question might be, filling in the blank, you might want to get me checked out. I need help. As we've said each week, these Beatitudes, they flow in a particular order. And Jesus spoke these in a particular order, and he spoke them for a reason. And there's a reason that he didn't just say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God, and then move on with the rest of the sermon. But he gave this entire list. And the reason is that they do build upon one another, and they help us understand. So when we're trying to sort of wrestle with or understand more clearly, what is Jesus saying when he says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God? We can look at the order. The first three Beatitudes, I'll catch you up a little bit. I still encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon, but I'll catch you up a little bit. The first three Beatitudes are really about self-reflection. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. There's a look internally. As we are poor in spirit, we understand, we reflect upon our lives, ourselves, and we realize that we are poor in spirit. We are, we are in complete spiritual poverty apart from God. And to know that, it takes the Lord to move to kind of remind us or to teach us that. And because of that, we mourn over our sin. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, he's not talking just about those who mourn death. Although he is, that is a true statement. They will be comforted. But what he's really speaking about in this statement is that we mourn that we would grieve the sinfulness of our hearts. Again, looking reflectively, internally. And meekness would describe the humility that comes as we understand when we rightly see our need. And when we rightly see our need, guess what happens? The fourth beatitude. We hunger and thirst for something that we cannot find from within. We recognize in those first three, those, Jesus says that there's blessing for those first three because there's a recognition of something is missing. And so we hunger and thirst. And when we hunger and thirst for righteousness that we can't find from within, Jesus promises us that we will be filled And so these next three Beatitudes are a result, what happens when we are filled by Christ, when he fills us with that righteousness that we desire. We get what he has promised. We become merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We become pure. Blessed are the pure in heart. We become peacemakers. The first three describe the self-reflection. The fourth is the longing that overflows after that self-reflection. And the next three are what Jesus will deliver and bring us into and cause us to be. All of these, as we've said over and over again each week, are marks of a Christian. If you are a Christian, these things will be true of you. And if you sit in the room or you watch this morning and you don't know that you're a Christian or you have some doubts or some questions, and perhaps you've even looked at the world and you have said... Well, I don't really like those people. They kind of act differently. Or I don't like the way Christians say this or that. Let me just tell you and remind you. What you see in the word of God, that is what describes a Christian. 
Don't allow the sins of some other person or something else in the world to prevent you from seeing who God has called Christians to be. This is what defines Christians. And so as Christians, we are called to live these things out and we are filled with his spirit enabling us to live those things out. But they become true of us. Now there's a further correspondence, I believe, in these statements as well. When we taught on the first beatitude, we talked about being poor in spirit. We said that being poor in spirit was the understanding, as I've already said, our great need, the poverty of our spiritual condition. And when we understand our great need, we see ourselves properly, and we also look at others differently. And because of that, as a result of looking at the world differently, that first beatitude flows to the fourth. We become merciful. The first three, the first of the first three, connected to the the first of the second three. And so likewise, if we look at the second statement, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning, we are talking about mourning, being repentant, grieving our own sinfulness. That mournfulness over our own sinfulness leads and corresponds to the second of the three, a purity of heart. And so we come back to blessed are the pure in heart. And we can see through just the order and the way that Jesus taught them and what he said and how they're interrelated to one another. That a purity of heart has something to do with a recognition of being mournful and grieving our own sinfulness. And what Jesus does when we do that. When we recognize our sinfulness, he promises us, he says that we will be comforted. And that comfort that comes is not just a comfort like a hug. Yes, that's helpful sometimes. Sometimes we just all need a hug. You know, I'm a hugger. My mom taught me that. And so I'm just going to hug you. I know COVID's been really hard on me, by the way, because it's just like I want to give you a hug. And I've kind of got to ask the question, are we safe? Are we good? And we just have to be generous with one another. And, hey, I'm not going to hug you if you don't want. I'm just just know I'm kind of doing this emotionally and spiritually with you. Sorry, that was completely a waste of your time. I don't know why I said any of that. But as an overflow of someone who mourns and grieves the sin, their sin, our own sins, there's a, a purity of heart that comes with that. The pure in heart will see God. Those who will see God are those who have recognized that they have been purified, not from within, not on their own, but something outside of themselves, other than themselves. And while we would say that this promise should be for um, a promise for everything that we want, should, should satisfy all our needs to see God, ultimately it's the striving of our hearts. The first statement is really what we should all strive to do, which is to have pure hearts. We want to see God. That's our ultimate desire. But our ultimate aim should to be have pure hearts. If we put the things in the wrong place, again, sometimes we get things backwards. And we think if I just do this, then I will accomplish that. And what Jesus is saying, our aim, our purpose, should be to have a pure heart. So what does it mean to have a pure heart? In reality, a purity of heart would really describe what it means to be a Christian. To be a true Christian means to have a pure heart. And if everyone around us had pure hearts, what problems would exist in the world? Would there be any problems if our hearts were truly pure? 
Again, why we said from the beginning in week one, what the world needs is not a bunch of other things. The world needs more Christians. The world needs more men, women, boys, and girls whose hearts are pure. So, when we think about this word, and we think about being pure in heart, what does that mean? And, And why did Jesus use the word heart? Of course, we're not, and Jesus is not speaking here, In biological terms. He's not speaking of the heart in a biological sense. But we sometimes, I think we can know just in in our vernacular in a sense, what it means when we talk about someone's heart. When we speak of the heart. The heart is the center of our will. It's what motivates us. It's where both our emotions and our strength reside. That's where they're found. We often say of someone that they they have a good heart. They have a pure heart. Or if we're looking at an athlete, we say, look at how much heart they gave to the game. The tenacity, the strength, the, 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 the vigor that they brought to it. If we could describe someone, we might say, I don't really know exactly what was going on there, but I know their heart. We think of the heart, and when we talk of the heart, we are talking about sort of the center of our lives. And all of the Christian life is really about the heart. Taking out, as the the Ecclesiastes says, taking out the heart of stone and replacing it with a heart of flesh. The hardened heart of Pharaoh being hardened versus a heart that is malleable and teachable. It's a condition. Being a Christian is a condition of the heart. And notice he doesn't say, he doesn't speak about our minds. Sometimes, of course, in our modern day, our minds would be considered the center or the purpose or what drives us. But ultimately, we know that it's our hearts that do that. And what Jesus describes when he talks about uh, purity and, uh, and, and ultimately those that will see God, he does not use the word, blessed are those who know something, for they shall see God. Or blessed are those who practice certain things, for they shall see God. Those are good things, and those are things that would overflow from the heart. But the beginning, what is central, is the heart. Knowledge and practice that overflow from a heart that has been transformed. Now I understand that some of you might be really skeptical of our faith. Skeptical of what it means to be a Christian. And you're here because you desire to know more. You're watching, engaging online, just sort of peering in. And again, as we've said so often, we're so thankful for you to do that, to welcome you here. But it's because you're curious about perhaps a certain practice. Or you desire to know something. If I could just know this, then I might understand God. Or if I just did these things and the practices lined up, then I might know God. But that's not what our faith is about. Our faith, belief, being a Christian, is a matter of the heart. It's a condition of the heart. And so once again, don't allow the things that flow from it, intellect and knowledge, again, good things, helpful things, practices, doctrines, helpful and good things, don't allow those things to prevent you from hearing and knowing God's heart for you and his work to purify and transform your heart. And so, the same way we can't allow our intellect or knowledge to be the center of our faith, it has to be the heart that is transformed. The same way the practices, it's not all about conduct. Jesus is not a moralist. 
Think about the Pharisees. Their emphasis was on conduct, on what they did. But their hearts, the word says, were far from God. So when Jesus uses the word heart, and he says that the one who is blessed is pure in heart, he's describing the very core of who you are. The heart as the center. Not external or internal, not an either or, but the center and the complete person. Scripture says that our words are an overflow of our heart. If there's evil in our hearts, then our words, our practice, what we do might overflow out of that. The heart that is angry is the one that murders. The heart that is lustful is the one that commits adultery. The heart that covets is the one that steals. These things don't just happen on accident. You don't just fall into them. It's a heart thing that happens. It's the result of a fallen heart. And so if we know ourselves well because we've taken those first three Beatitudes seriously, we've examined our hearts and we have understood the poverty of our hearts, we've understood the sinfulness of our hearts and we have been humbled by that, then we can know, begin to know what it means to have a pure heart. Now, if we think about our hearts and we think about those things, if you're like me, you might be stumbling over the word pure. Because when I think about my own heart, I'll just confess to you that I don't often think heart, Ryan, pure. Purity and those things, they don't always go together. I'm grateful that you might think of me in that way in some sense, but I know my own heart and I know the brokenness of my own heart. I know the sinfulness of my own heart. And I recognize when I say, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, I begin to sort of wonder, well, Lord, I'd like to see you. This word purity is something that I'm struggling with. What What does he mean when he says pure in heart? Because again, I know myself well. How can my heart be pure? Well, this is what Jesus meant when he used the word pure, by a purity of heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. First, he meant a single-mindedness. The idea of sincerity. If we think of someone who is sincere, we would say that when they say something or they do something, that it's, it's not something that they are just faking or trying to sort of create for themselves, but it, it, it's a result of a true belief and, and a, a feeling and emotions and all that is wrapped up within that is sincerity. And so a pure heart is a single-minded heart, a sincere heart that is truly pursuing God, has a focus on God alone. Psalm 86 verse 11 sums this up or gives us a picture of this pure heart. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Cause my heart, unite it together. Give it a unity, a single focus around the idea of fearing your name. Having a reverence for who you are. Following God. By contrast... A divided heart is not a pure heart. We cannot have hearts that are divided. A divided heart seeks all of those things that we just referenced in some way. Understands those things in some way about ourselves. But a a divided heart wants with one hand to please God. Wants to worship God. And on the other hand, wants all the other stuff. I'd like to please God. I'd like to worship God. I'd like to do those things, but I also want to do all these other things. And there's conflict. The heart becomes divided. 
This is the internal heart battle that Paul was referencing in Romans 7. That he dealt with on a daily basis. It's our struggle. But a pure heart has one aim. The glory of God. A singular focus on the glory of God. I said this week that we must have a desire, a reverence, a love for Christ, His church, and His kingdom. And that He must be first. Because if He, if he is not first, He is last. There is no second place for Jesus in our lives. How many of us, how often when we think about this and we think about our hearts being divided, we want to sort of play in both worlds. Our heart, a pure heart, is a heart that has a singular focus on bringing glory to God. Paul testified, and I will testify again like Paul to you, that I struggle with that on a daily basis. And I expect that most of you also struggle with that. But the pure heart is the heart that's desire, the center, the strength, the emotion. Everything in us wants to bring glory to God. Our sinfulness wrecks that up and messes with us and we have problems and there's challenges to that. But our desire is to bring glory to God. Our desire is to honor Christ in all that we do. Our desire is to go to work for Christ, to go home for Christ, to parent for Christ, to serve his kingdom for Christ, to live in community with others for Christ, to do all of those things for Christ. That's a pure heart. That's an undivided heart. An undivided heart that leads to what Jesus is speaking about. Ultimately, a pure heart is one that looks like Jesus. A pure heart is also a cleansed heart. As we have mourned our sins and repented of our sins, Jesus promises us that we will be comforted. And we have been comforted. The comfort comes as we receive the mercy of Christ and our hearts are cleansed. This is the good news and the promise of the gospel. That it's not something that you will do on your own volition or that you will make to happen. But it's in repentance with a pure heart, mourning and grieving your sinfulness. Where Christ will come in and he will cleanse you. And his cleansing is total. And this is why, again, a pure heart is a heart that looks like Jesus. Because after all. A pure heart is one that has been completely transformed, been washed clean, has been made new by Jesus. My kids look like me and look like their mother. There's some reflection, and most of you would say that about your children. Hey, she kind of looks like me, he kind of looks like me. I knew they were my sons when they were born, for many reasons, but I tested it. At their birth, when Grayson was born, he came out of the womb. I grabbed him and I looked at his little foot and I was in amazement that he has a crooked fourth toe, just like his dad. And I was like, that happened? I feel so sorry for the kid. I felt bad for him. Carson comes along, a crooked fourth toe. Hudson comes along, a crooked fourth toe. You can know they are my sons because we have the same fourth toe. There's a reflection. There's something that we see. They, they came from me. If we have been transformed and created fresh and anew by Christ as new creations, our hearts have come from Christ. He created this new heart of flesh. It's his heart. And so the heart, the pure heart is one that reflects him who gave it to us. 
And so if we think about what it means to have a pure heart, it means that we have a heart that looks like Jesus. There's a holiness to the heart. So when Jesus says blessed are the pure in heart, he did not say blessed are the perfect in heart. He said the pure heart. A heart that has been cleansed by Him. A heart that is undividedly His. And if our hearts are not undividedly His, if our hearts do have stains of sin upon them in this moment, the response is not to run from God, but to run back to Him and to receive what He's already promised that He will do. He will give us mercy. That He will will comfort us. And so I would just ask, even as we pause, you might take a moment just in your own hearts and minds right now. You can stop listening to anything else I say, just reflecting on that. Is my heart undividedly His? Is there a purity of heart that looks like Christ? Do I see His handprints on my heart that He has given me? And if not, bow your head in this very moment confess that to Christ and receive the comfort that only he can bring nothing i say will change anything about that for you but what jesus will do is he will receive you with mercy and he promises us that we will be comforted so blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see god as we said what more could we want or desire than to see god And in the same way that some of the other promises of Christ have an already but not yet, this one has that as well. We do see God. I look around this room and I look at the body of Christ that he has created, this church family, which for me is a picture, is an image of Christ. Tangibly, I experience his presence when I fellowship with you. This is why we invite you so regularly and consistently. And sometimes you might feel like we might kind of beat you over the head with this. We want you to be a part. We want you to get connected. Because I can tell you that seeing God is about seeing this family rally around one another. Care for one another. Minister to one another. Praying for one another. And the only way that we do that is if we know one another. And we're in fellowship with one another. And there's a connectedness to us. That's why we do so much of what we do. So that we can build the bonds of a family So that we might see God as we look at the body of Christ, his gift to us, the church. We see God, I look around in nature. I should have done this at the very beginning, but it just flows perfectly here. I hope, did you see how beautiful this place was as you drove up this morning? A lot of men sacrificed a lot of their day yesterday to make it even more beautiful, to sort of bring out what was already here in some senses. We're so thankful for the work that they did just to sort of beautify. But driving up the road, just looking at the beauty of this creation, we see God. I tell you all the time, I love to flee away to the mountains as often as I can. It's not near it often enough. But I go to the mountains and I see God. I see in his creation the beauty. I see God not just in uh, who we are corporately, but I see God at work in you individually. The phone calls, the text messages, the exchanges that we might have where you are reflecting a heart that has been purified as you are desiring to follow Christ in an undivided way. I see God in that. So we do see Jesus, his promise to us has already in some ways been fulfilled as we just look around and see God at work. 
But there is a greater sight that will one day happen as we so often talk about right now. We see through a lens darkly. It's a little bit foggy. Because while I see God in all of those things, this world, all of us, are marred by the brokenness. There is death. There is pain. There is suffering. There is sinfulness of hearts. All of those things are true. And so while I see God, I also only look a little bit. But there will be a day. There is a day coming when we will see God clearly, visibly, completely without anything in our way. Nothing inhibiting our seeing who He is. To see Him face to face. Moses couldn't even look upon the glory of God. He came down completely transformed from the Mount Sinai after meeting with God there. There will be a day where we will see him and we will be with him forever, for eternity. That's a promise to hold on to. We see God in these reflections, these small images, these little places in our lives, and they just point us to hold on a little longer. Just keep going. I tell you, sometimes I I ride a bike and I participate in some cycling events every now and again. And very often there's road stops where they'll refill your water, water bottles. You know, you go long enough, you need more water. So we're at mile 60, 70, 80, 90. That 90 mile spot, I see that one. And it's a promise. Just 10 more miles. You can get there. You're only 10 miles away. And those little glimpses of seeing God in one another, seeing God in the beauty of his church, seeing God in all of creation are just things to give us just a little bit of hope to say, you're almost there. There will become a day when you'll see him completely. This is the promise of Christ. So how do we go about obtaining this pure heart? What does it mean again to have a to be pure in heart? What do we do? I know most of us, we want to do something about it. Well, first, you have to realize it's not a matter of your will. And second, we go back to step one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You want to have a pure heart if that's your desire, so that you would see God? Go to those first four Beatitudes. Reflect on those. Do you understand the poverty of your spiritual condition? Do you mourn and grieve your sinfulness? Are you humbled by that? And so do you find yourself hungering and thirsting for what only Jesus can provide, his righteousness? If that's true about you, your heart will be purified. You will have a pure heart. And Jesus promises for you, you will see God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this amazing in some sense, dumbfounding to me promise that I will see you, that I can see you, that I can know you. So I pray now for my brothers and sisters 
my friends in this room, those that are hearing my voice through a screen right now. I ask that you would just allow us to humble ourselves before you just to reflect. Are our hearts fully, sincerely, undividedly yours, Lord? And if not, would you cleanse us? Would you show us that? Would you redirect our hearts towards you? Would you purify our hearts? As we strive to do something this week, even this afternoon or this morning, I pray that you would just lead us back to your previous words, Lord Jesus. Teach us the poverty of our spirit without you. The reality of our spiritual condition. Lead us to grieve our sinfulness. Let our hearts be broken over how often we are tempted away from following you. Let us just be filled with a meekness, a humility that can only be described as coming from you. And fill us, give us a hunger and a thirst for your righteousness. And answer our plea and our, your, your promise to fill us with that, Lord Jesus. So that our hearts could be pure. This is our desire, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name because we believe. Amen. Once again, thank you so much for being with us. I'd love an opportunity to meet you if I haven't. I look around the room and I see new friends and guests. And so we're so grateful that you're here with us this morning. Um, I'll be down front. I'm going to throw a mask on. I love a chance just to shake your hand, give you a dap, give you a sort of that, Lord, not, not a real hug, but you know, whatever it is that we're good with there. I'd love an opportunity to do so. More than that, I'd love really an opportunity to kind of connect with you and my family and others in our church family are going to be around the, this afternoon, evening time frame. You might have if you didn't catch it in our cafe, that's what we're calling this space uh, to my left, to your right, our cafe, we have a wood fire pizza oven. And so we're going to be firing that thing up this afternoon. And if you come up right at Cowboys halftime, so, you know, and I know our lives sort of anchor around that. I'm sure all of you have your schedules built around Cowboys halftime like me. Cowboys halftime, come up, drive up. We'll have pizzas ready. Um, If you've made a reservation, know that you're already taken care of. If you don't have a reservation, it's totally good. Just show up. We have plenty of pizzas. So bring your family. This would be a great place to bring a neighbor or a friend. Perhaps you have a neighbor or a friend, and I'm speaking to some of you online, a little bit leery about joining in on a worship service or coming to church and just curious about what that might look like. Come tonight and just hang out with the body of Christ. We'd love nothing more just to spend some time with you. The fourth Sunday of every month at City Church is called Community Night, and so this is our kickoff uh, for the year. And so uh, come up, and we'd love to uh, spend more time with you, get to know you, and uh, just have uh, friendship and fellowship with you. So with that, love you guys. Hope you have a great uh, rest of your Sunday. We'll see you back here this afternoon and uh, would love to meet you and pray with you if I can in just a few moments. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 830 and 1030 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.